Today I'm chatting with Steph Dixon, a leading voice in sustainability in Asia. Steph is the founder of Green is the New Black, Asia's first conscious festival and media platform focused on social and behavioural change that can lead to positive environmental impact. She's also a founding member of Untamed, a collective force carving out a place for APAC women in Web3. We chat about Web3, the good and the bad, the opportunities that decentralization can bring, and we touch on Steph's experience at Davos and the World Economic Forum this year. So I hope you enjoy it. Here's my conversation with Steph Dixon. Hey, Steph, welcome to the Task Podcast. How are you doing? I'm good. Thank you so much for having me, Matt. I'm really excited for our conversation today. Yeah, so am I. My pleasure and been looking forward to it. We had a few kind of bookings and, and <laughs> changes and obviously good to return the favor because I was on your podcast. Maybe it was like six weeks ago. I'm not quite sure now, but um, really enjoyed that. And I think we'll chat through, you know, some of the same same themes. Um, I will have done a little introduction uh, to you, but maybe just to expand on that for our audience and maybe just a quick in- intro of yourself, what you do, where you come from and et cetera. Yeah, I'm Australian Scottish, but I grew up in Asia and uh, I've been working in sustainability for the last seven and a half years. Before that, I worked in fashion. I basically had an epiphany where I realized that fashion was one of the most polluting and socially corrupt industries in the world. And that spiraled me out on a deep rabbit hole dive uh, into sustainability. And I have been building events and experiences and media and content since then. Uh, That was sort of my skill set. So launch Green is New Black with large-scale conscious festivals which have now uh happened with i think we've had over thirty thousand people in total uh join our events over the seven years so that's in singapore hong kong paris and london and now i've uh, found myself in a new deep rabbit hole which is all about web3 and blockchain for good and that's a a very fun one and with that i co-founded a new community for women uh plus so women and non-binary folk uh in web3 around apac called untamed and so that's keeping me very busy at the moment but definitely a huge passion project awesome well like yeah obviously i know all about that i've been speaking to um some of the other kind of co-founders and founders and and some of the guys I know from when I was in Singapore and I know you had an event last night it wasn't on that event but we've we've talked about it and I I, you know the question I think will really link into that and it it really does set the theme for this podcast discussion but you know can web3 help humanity and the planet and if so how I know it's such a loaded question and uh, it's we literally had a huge event just to cover that topic so I will try to distill down the knowledge uh, that we put together and that we presented to everyone so I think there's two sides to the coin the first is really understanding the positive system change that blockchain and web3 technology can actually provide us and for me there are four key things that really excite me about that and the first is there is a power to drive positive impact at immense scale that we can't really even fathom yet because just the way that the systems are built and the access that it's going to be able to give people. So that's like the first thing. The second thing is really looking at decentralization. So unlike centralized networks like Facebook and Twitter, where a small number of shareholders basically control the benefit from growth, blockchain actually enables incentive systems, which can really benefit the entire network. So the decentralized, and that's a word that you're going to hear a lot once you start getting into this space as well. Mm -hmm. The third thing that excites me is the transparency, because 
every transaction on the blockchain is verified by multiple parties and it's public. It literally can't be changed without altering the entire network. And that, you know, is again, a very big comparison to the algorithms of big tech, which are secret and constantly changing. And if you, if you, you run a business or you're on social media, I mean, you've got no idea what's happening most of the time and how things are changing so much against you. Uh, but that's not the case uh, with this technology because of the transparency. And the final thing is really that it's public, you know, blockchain contracts are public and uh, there are laws around who can change them and how, and it's all very, very available. So this is really like the positive system change side of it. On the flip side, of course, there is a huge energy footprint that comes along with this. So the negativity and the sustainability side really comes into this huge negative environmental impact. So just to give you like a little bit of an understanding, Bitcoin and Ethereum are two of the major blockchains, right? And coins. And so uh, it's estimated just to give a little bit of an, an easy comparison, a single transaction in Bitcoin as of yesterday when I updated the numbers is the equivalent of 1.7 plus a million visa transactions. That's on Bitcoin. And for Ethereum, it's about 147,000 uh, visa transactions just for a single um, transaction on those chains. So that's if you're minting an NFT or you're buying Bitcoin or Ethereum, this is what we're actually looking at in terms of energy impact. Uh, or if you are a YouTube watcher, um, the a Bitcoin would be the same as watching over 131,000 hours of watch of YouTube. And for Ethereum, it's about over 11,000 uh, 11, hours. So and then if you, again, want to, if you're more on the energy aspect of houses, I think this is a big comparison that's happening a lot of the time, but uh, at the moment, because the price changes, right? So the price of Bitcoin and Ethereum is a bit lower at the recording of this podcast. So it's the average consumption of a US household in 48 days for Bitcoin uh, or the power average power consumption for four days um, for Ethereum. So that just gives us an example of the scale of what we're really talking about here. And why this matters is because right now, from the research that I've done, there's only about 106 million people who own cryptocurrencies. That's what I could find from online. So that's a very, very small portion of our global population. And we're already seeing the huge energy guzzling technology. But if everyone was to get on board with Bitcoin or with other currencies, then according to a nature climate change study, this alone would warm the planet to more than two degrees, which is what we're desperately trying to avoid. And so that's not something that we can ignore. And on top of that, while there is a case to be made for some uh, Bitcoin miners who are actually using renewables and, and you know, increasing renewable adoption and, and using untapped energy sources. There's also on the flip side, uh, there's a lot that's actually re uh, resurrecting fossil fuel coal plants in the US. I mean, this is just insane, especially for if you come from an environmentalist background, like we're trying to phase out coal and then you've got Bitcoin miners buying these, you know, um, decommissioned coal plants and resurrecting them. I mean, it's just insane. So when you look at this, basically when it comes down to this conversation, what we're looking at balancing is the long-term systemic benefits against today's urgent need to reduce fossil fuel consumption. So that's really what what the, the two sides of the coin, at least the way that I see it uh, in this space. So the main thing here is that we actually have the systems and we see there's a lot of chains out there that can have actually resolved a lot of these energy guzzling problems. And that really boils down to proof of work or proof of stake, which are the two um, 
consensus mechanisms of how the chains are run, what the consensus is to be adding blocks to the chain. So proof of work is more like a competition. This is what Bitcoin uses right now and Ethereum uses. It's a bunch of computers competing to solve an equation. And basically the first miner to solve that puzzle adds a new transaction and receives crypto as a little bounty or the reward for doing it. As the chain grows and becomes more popular and everything, the puzzles get harder and therefore more power is required. And that's at, at the baseline, what proof of work is and how that works as the simplest way I can explain it. And miners basically dedicate their hardware and their energy. And that's why it's so uh, energy intensive because they're all competing and they need a lot of hardware and electricity to be able to do that. So that's proof of work. Proof of stake is more like a lottery system. So it's validators instead of miners. And they basically stake their crypto. And the more they stake, they have a higher chance to win. So it's just exactly like a lottery. And a proof of stake uses as little as 0.01% of the energy. And so this is uh, uh, validators are randomly selected by the algorithm and they are dedicating their crypto, not hardware and electricity. So this is actually what Ethereum is moving to in the merge or Ethereum 2.0, depending on what people are calling it. But that is actually what uh, it's moving to. And that's a huge, I mean, 0.01% is the, the energy for that versus, you know, what, what, what I've already explained. And so once we solve this energy problem, then we can start really focusing on all the incredible benefits that this technology can actually provide. And of course, there is a lot of alternatives that already exist. And I know, Matt, you're a big fan of Stella, and that's the platform that you're using, which is fantastic. You know, they're a really great alternative. Um, and they're basically, you know, considered as an alternative to PayPal. So that gives a really clear example of the role that they're playing in the ecosystem. And so, yeah, I guess for me, once we solve this energy problem, we're sort of in this very uncomfortable, awkward transition right now. And we, yeah, basically once we solve that, we can start really seeing the good benefits. And, you know, there's so many smart people in this space right now, and there's already some great initiatives that are helping to solve this. There is the Crypto Climate Accord, which is basically taking taken inspiration from the Paris Agreement uh, and they're uh, trying, they've already onboarded 200 companies to help to make crypto green. So that's like one great initiative. There's another campaign that I really love, which is so simple, but so effective. It's change the code, not the climate. And they've got a big movement, which is done by Greenpeace and EWG. And they really want uh, to um, help to change the code of Bitcoin the way that Ethereum is doing right now. So that's, uh, yeah, sort of like my high level overview, but I can share a little bit more about some companies that I think are doing great stuff, but yeah, there's the two sides of the coin. <laughs> yeah, definitely. Look, really, that was a great condensed I, I i know you could probably get up and speak for an hour on that stuff because there's so much in there right and I, I mean just to kind of I, I suppose summarize i mean there's a real yin and a yang here of you know one side you've got this real issue with cryptocurrency blockchains consuming ridiculous amounts of, of energy not all um as we know on the other side you've got all this great opportunity around decentralization around the ability to 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 gather mass communities um much bigger than than the traditional maybe tech companies to do uh, or to advance good change. Um, yeah, I mean, maybe if you can drill down, I don't, well, actually a question, I suppose, in terms of the focus, how you see it and, you know, is the focus, hey, we've got to fix the problem on, on one side right now, or, you know, is it while we're doing that, we look at the other side of what are the opportunities in this technology in, in fixing problems. And yeah, please feel free to share any examples of what's being done, but yeah. 
Yeah, I think that there's a lot of really smart activists and environmentalists or people that actually just care about making the world a better place who are already using this technology and building things. And for me, I just want to amplify that and allow people to realize that, yes, there is a problem with Bitcoin and with proof of work, but there are literally like hundreds of other chains and crypto and other um, yeah algorithms that are basically built you, with way less energy and are helping to solve some of these problems. So I think it is this a little bit of a transition right now. I think it's going to be really interesting to see what happens when the ETH merge happens and they go to proof of stake to see if it's really possible. And then hopefully that may eventually put a bit more pressure on Bitcoin because of course, Bitcoin is still the most popular and it is still considered gold, you know, digital gold in a lot of circumstances. So it's not something that we can just ignore. And I think that's the important part, but there are a lot of great people who are already building stuff using this technology that I'm going to share a little bit, a couple of examples of things that I, I got really excited about. So one is this idea of environmental monitoring. So using this technology, we can actually start to have global systems in place to actually have a look at environmental change shifts, things that need to be addressed, whether that's in the ocean or um in our air and one of them is called planet watch. So they have basically created this global network of low cost air quality sensors that validate filter and collect data in real time. And that's really protecting public health. So that one's got a lot of traction uh, and they're really helping to make sure because air pollution kills an obscene amount of people every year and it doesn't have to, it can be something that can be mitigated and reduced. So I think that's something that's really exciting. There's a couple of uh, big, companies that are also looking at doing cryptocurrencies for the greater good, but really to build sustainable financial systems that give access to people that don't currently have access or, you know, to bank the unbanked and really looking to provide universal basic income. So one that I found was, it was Nico. I met um, the founder at Davos when I was there for the world economic forum. And they're just, you know, they literally are building for the common good. They, the guy is super amazing. He's so fun, full of life. And just wants to make, you know, connect people on a different level and be allowed to really neutralize and give everyone fair access to a sustainable finance system. And that just is, I think, really inspiring. Um, another one, one of the first ones that I discovered that I really love is Oshaverse because they are uh, basically working with NFT and artists. So they have artists uh, who work underwater, you know, whether they're visual artists or painters or everything. And they created a series of NFTs and those NFTs um, were auctioned. And that money is then going to actually preserve and save and rescue reefs around the world. And they've got big visions to basically digitize the ocean at some point, create, you you know, like a metaverse of the ocean and to actually then have all of the projects that they've saved and all the roofs that still need saved and raise funding that way. So in terms of like conservation and how we can educate, but do that with art and experience and have people feeling like they're involved because they get to vote if they own one of these NFTs, you know, there's this community layer, conservation layer, and then education layer. And then just this fun as well, because the whole thing's gamified, you know, there's so many layers to these experiences and people can really feel like they're involved versus just donating to an ocean charity and not knowing what's happening. This is really experiential in terms of the touch points and the ability to actually control and be part of something bigger. And I think that's also what really excites me. And I'll just share one more example, um, which is something I didn't even, you know, you don't even really think about sometimes, but in Africa, 
for example, the real estate market is really risky because there's actually no property record system, which I didn't even know before. And so that leads to a huge lack of trust between financial institutions for borrowing, but also huge interest rates for those that actually want to own land or, or buy property. And so House Africa is building this record system on the blockchain for home buyers and financial companies to like verify value properties and do that really effortlessly. And I think things like that, when you hear these stories, you're like, wow, that's so clever. And it's literally immutable, you know, like once it's in the blockchain and if this is a system that they can get for the whole continent, then there's going to, it's going to solve a lot of issues and really help a lot of people to get out of uh, poverty and and difficult situations that they may be in or to increase, start increasing their wealth. And yeah, I don't know. I I can speak about this for so long because I think there's so many exciting opportunities in this. And I really want to help open people's eyes that it's not just money flipping scams. You know, of course there's a lot of that and you do have to be careful and do your own research, but at the same time, there's a lot of very exciting things happening. Oh, awesome. I love it. I love hearing your passion around it. And <laughs> that, that last example, I, for me, actually, that I've seen lots of different use cases that are that model of, you know, c- gathering, basically collecting data across a wild scale, a wide scale, sorry, in an immutable fashion. And there's lots of different use cases. I think to your point there, the yeah, the scams. And the problem is that on one side, you've got cryptocurrency. On the other side, you've got blockchain. And, you know, really, yeah, cryptocurrencies use blockchains, but it doesn't mean that's what it's all about. And there's all these different really great use cases um, for blockchain technology, frankly. So, um, and actually, just for anyone listening, what I'll do, because you you jumped through a load of examples there, what I'll do is I'll get links to all those at the end and when I publish the podcast. So if anyone's listening, if you go to the speaker notes now, I'll make sure there's links to all those examples and you can click on them. So um, I wanted to ask, you kind of mentioned it there anyway, so so you may have answered this, but you know, Davos, the World Economic Forum, I know you were there whenever it was, probably a month ago now, time is going fast. I know, it's you know, away. I'd love to hear, I mean, I it's interesting actually with that event, there's also a bit of a yin and a yang, as in- A hundred percent. You know, you can- I mean, there will be a lot of noise online, not that I go and look at this stuff, but saying, you know, oh, people flying in big jets and, you know, and there is this kind of, well, there's that side of it where you go, well, it's, it's a big footprint. But the other side of it is, well, what is the equation and what comes out of it? And love to hear from you. I don't know if you've been before, whether it's the first time, but it'd be interesting. Uh, you know, I know a lot of people were there, but I haven't spoken to 21 yet since. So I'd love to understand your perspective on it, your experience, you know, how you came away from it, what you felt really interested to know. Yeah, absolutely. So it was my first time and I really had no idea what to expect. And of course, when you'd say the World Economic Forum, people tend to land in, in a few different camps. And one of them is like, oh, exactly what you've said. So I think you really hit the nail on the head with that. But also it's really interesting because there is a lot of stuff that happens behind closed doors, very secretive, a lot of very rich people coming, flying in their jets and, and everything. And that's sort of this very secretive, elusive, weird thing that no one actually really knows what's going on. But then there's this huge amount of people that influx that and groups that I was part of that were there who are very open. Everything's free to access. Everyone just wants to connect, hear about what other people are doing. The community was next level. And yeah, they're all there literally to figure out how to do things in a better way. And 
all of the people that I met were just insane. And they were doing such incredible things to help people on the planet. And I was actually blown away. So uh, just a bit of backstory. I, I was in Glasgow for COP last year and I didn't go to any of the official COP stuff, but I did go to one of the massive Friday for Futures, you know, 100,000 person uh, uh, what a protest. <laughs> Sorry, like blanking. It's been a crazy week, but yeah, I went to one of the protests and it was so intense and there was so much anger there. And I really actually spiraled out and got very jaded and, and almost had to disconnect actually from the sustainability conversation because the lack of action that I felt was happening through COP and just kind of lost myself a little bit there. And then going to Davos, I actually left that week feeling completely rejuvenated with new fresh hope for humanity. And it was just such a diverse experience, which for me, I really needed to keep me get my passion back again. And so much of that is actually driven by the incredible humans that I met and realizing that there's this whole subset of people and this new wave of energy being birthed by change makers around the world. And literally they're operating out of a place of joy and love and they're not operating out of a place of fear and greed and you can really feel that something is shifting and I think even being in a space like that uh, because of what happens in certain spaces it's almost like there's this equilibrium balance that ends up coming out of it and that was really interesting so I think there was a few key things that I took out of it first was this new wave of energy the second was that more than ever we really need to regenerate respect and protect indigenous knowledge and culture and people and the stewards of the land this is so critical moving forward they are our guides and if we stay out of the rainforest they're going to be absolutely fine uh and so i think yeah really focusing on indigenous uh people and and protecting them because they steward 80 percent of earth's biodiversity and so they need as much support and vocal time and everything that we can possibly give them and then play is becoming such an important part of the experience. And this is what I saw with all of the people. And I met so many incredible people also in Web3 for Impact. And they're just having a lot of fun, you know, and that I think life doesn't have to be so serious. And I was so serious for so long. And then I meet all these incredible people and they're just having a lot of fun. And I was like, okay, I want to have fun too. I can change the world, but I can still enjoy the process. How do, so, how do you mean? That's interesting. Can you give it a, like, just, just in terms of the enjoying the job or, or, yeah. or real? they're just like, they're using their time and effort to build stuff. That's really fun. Like the guy that I mentioned, um, Flo, who runs Nico, like he is just this little jovial man who's just having the best time living his best life, building something that he's just absolutely loving doing. You know, there was zero stress there. He's that's just, awesome. <laughs> yeah. And there was so many people that I met like that, you know, there's another guy, um, Stefan that I met and he runs, yes, we trust. And he's just this really smart switched on guy loves to party, but he's also building this he's been doing this for nine years and now they're integrating web3 into the whole experience but they're basically building a members club for humanity and using blockchain to build that transparency and trust um, and helping to create you know generational change with a positive impact but so everything he's doing is so beautiful and he's literally incentivizing people to meditate and to go on walks and everything through their app and they earn tokens and then they can use those tokens for real world um, retreats and 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 this kind of thing and he's it, it's beautiful what he's doing and he's just having the best time and so there was so much play energy and I think that really makes 
yeah, it really inspired me to want to operate from that place. Um, and that was something yeah, time and time again, throughout this week, I just kept meeting people that were really, you know, they'd really embodied that. And I think that's crazy inspiring. So that was another that's big awesome. thing. Yeah. That's awesome. I think that's a really great philosophy. I, you know, as you're talking now, I'm thinking about my journey in the whole, in the kind of software world, you know, 25 years ago. I mean, it was all about, we thought it was about play, but it wasn't. It was like work ridiculously hard, 60 hours a week, you know, <laughs> go out and kind of get drunk and, and relax. And it was all numbers on a spreadsheet. And there, there does feel there's a raft of businesses now in this in this area in this place a lot younger than me most of the founders but there is this sense of there's a lot of work to be done a lot to get done but do it in a kind of conscious way without kind of killing yourself and yeah I don't know I had a question for the end but maybe it's a good time to ask it actually because it it links in this conscious living um you know what does that that because that kind of sounds like what you're communicating there a little bit and I know it's something that you're focused on do you want to explain what that is what it means to you and because it does sound like it's coming out in that in that explanation of these other these other people running businesses in this space yeah absolutely I haven't actually made that link before which is really interesting because I I started talking about conscious living and consciousness back in 2015 and at the time in Singapore my friends were like Steph what are you on about like are you going to become a hemp wearing vegan hippie blah 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 blah. like they're so judgmental about my sustainability journey and how I just went from fashion and all of a sudden I'm now preaching all this stuff uh and yeah I really felt very judged back then but for me I don't know the word conscious living and consciousness just made a lot of sense because it was more it's more than just sustainability and I think at that point that word was quite loaded already for me and conscious living was something that people now I think consciousness is used constantly, you know, it's overused now, but at the time it really meant for me that when we look at conscious living, we are looking at understanding that our decisions not only impact us, but they impact the planet and our surroundings as well. But it was really this inside out look at operating and at, at changing the world because there's, when we look at sustainability as a whole, if you don't have a roof over your head, if you can't like, if you know, you're working your ass off just to have your basic minimum needs covered, then you're, you don't care about the planet. You don't know. You're just literally in survival mode. So that's the first thing. But then once you get everything, like all your needs, you know, they're solid. You Now you can start looking at how to do things better. You actually need to look inside first. If, if we're not in an okay place, we can't give more and we'll end up burning out and, and everything. So you, it's really an inside out job when it comes to conscious living and sustainability for me. And we have to look after the internal landscape so that we can give more externally and that we can be a better human. And so it really goes hand in hand for me. That's always how I've lived and thought about it. And I've been on my own very difficult journey with mental health and through this, you know, being an entrepreneur and being an activist in this space. And, you know, it, it can be really tough and eco-anxiety is no joke. And so that's been a real battle to go through while also trying to understand the conscious living part. But I think this is a new crack to the code, uh, which is this idea of play and operating from the space of love and joy and the energy that then flows through that is a whole nother aspect of being conscious and operating as a conscious leader and so I think that was maybe the missing part that I didn't quite understand <laughs> cool well I, look, that's really well explained and I yeah like it, like I say it came to mind because I think when you explain the the fun and and 
the, the energy of these people and organizations you met Davos, it sounds like the same kind of thing that you're kind of conveying as an individual. So yeah, just yeah. wanted to highlight that. So I, I think, you know, something that people, there may be people listening and go, oh yeah, this is all great, but you know, there's just too much. There's this kind of tiredness that you sometimes get with looking at how you fix the environment and people get up and go, well, yeah, great. I can throw my bottles in the bin and, you know, in the recycling bin. But a lot of people who want to make a difference just go, oh, it's just too difficult. In fact, I hear lots of people I know who, you know, are not really focused on this space and they hear some of the stuff I'm doing like, oh, it's just too difficult. I'm never going to make a difference. I mean, what what's your advice to people who are thinking, you know, how how can people make a difference? How do we do more? Is it just up to big organizations? Is it up to everyone? Because, I, yeah, sometimes there is this reluctance for the individual. I think what you just said then, really good point, is you have to have your own stuff sorted out. And I obviously live, you know, up in the hills in northern Thailand. So I see people all the time that they're not thinking about this and they shouldn't be because they're thinking about, you know, That's how to look after their family. But beyond that, you know, the the I suppose more in developed countries, you know, if, if how can people make a make a difference? What do they need to do? How do we shift the needle and push things further forward faster? Yeah, I think when people say I'm just one person, my actions don't matter, it's the biggest cop out ever. I mean, seriously, like who are you kidding? Like the whole world is made up of individuals. Everyone, everything has an impact. Everyone can do a little bit of something. You don't have to be perfect. Sustainability is a journey. And I think people, if they can't be perfect, they just use that as the perfect excuse not to do anything. But we're already experiencing the effects of climate change and it is only going to get worse within our lifetime. Like I cannot underline that and stress that enough. It is going to get very, very painful. And if you thought the pandemic was bad with COVID, I mean, what we're in store for when the real effects of climate change start hitting the West, it's, it, I mean, it's absolutely terrifying what's, what's coming our way. And so if you have the opportunity now to actually do something and activate, and it doesn't need to be a lot, but if you can start shifting things and start taking those little green steps you're going to feel a lot better about it later and realize that, okay, as individuals, when we all do stuff, that collective, that's the bridge that we need. And that's the tipping point that we need because the more of us that do it together and that come into community or in as the collective, the, the better chance we have at reducing and mitigating what is coming our way. And so that's just, you know, my, my, <laughs> my soapbox moment. However, there are a lot of things that you can do. that are actually going to move the needle that really aren't that difficult. The first thing is looking at yourself. Like what are you doing in your life and where are the changes that you can make? I read some uh, research that came out the other day that basically said, if everyone in the world only ate meat once a week, we wouldn't have to do a single other thing. And so what you have in your diet, what you're choosing to eat three times a day has a massive impact right now. Animal agriculture is one of the leading causes of climate change and deforestation around the world. So if you can just reduce your meat consumption and dairy consumption, that's already doing a huge thing. And you're going to feel healthier with it once you you know figure out your groove, because of course it is an adjustment, but vegetarian vegan food these days is phenomenal and it's lighter and healthier. And there's so much about that. So food is a massive part to this. Uh, then I would say uh, where how you vote actually is a huge part of this as well. 
All right, and if you're really engaging with your local MPs and that kind of thing, because we need to vote people into power, we're actually going to put climate change front and center. And of course, that depends where you're living in the world and what your needs are. I understand that entirely. However, you still have a voice and that the voting is, is a massive part of what we can do. And then the final thing I think I would share is really looking at your business. Are you an entrepreneur or are you a co- like working in a corporate company? What can you do? Because if you can help to enact a few few different policy shifts within your company or within your business or starting a green group at the office or something like that, that has a massive knock-on effect because of all the different people employed and of, you know, helping them to get on, on the right green page. So there's a lot of different things you can do. And I think Chad Frischman is this, um, he was the lead scientist for Project Drawdown, which is a great place to start if you're feeling overwhelmed because they basically help to show us that all of the solutions, 80% of the solutions already exist. We just have to amplify them. And that amplification involves all of us. We all need to be, you know, voice, uh, mouth voices for this um, and uh, mouthpieces for this. So that's a great place. But he always says, choose your own adventure. And if we're continuing with the theme of play that we're having in this conversation, it doesn't need to be a sacrifice. It doesn't need to be something that's like, oh no, it's too difficult. I can't do it. Like that's bullshit. It's not that difficult these days. There's so much clear information that can guide you on this. And you just find something that gets you excited. That's going to make you, you know, whether it's renovating your home or, you know, changing up your diet or doing something at work or the office, like there is something that can ignite a passion in you that you can then inspire other people around. And that effect of influencing your sphere, that also has a huge impact. Um, so yeah, anyway, that's a little bit of a rant. <laughs> that's a good rant. We need good rants. So I, I like to, I mean, actually, as you were talking about, it kind of posed the question, is this, how long have you been kind of focused on this space? Is it, you know, did you kind of grow up thinking about the environment and changing it and, and fixing things and making sure we're on the right path or was it in more recent times? Is Yeah. When, when was your, was there a light bulb moment or, or was there not? You've always been kind of focused on this. Well, I grew up vegetarian. I chose to be vegetarian at eight because a, I was at a petting farm and uh, a chicken hatched in my hand. And I basically looked at my, and they were like, they was like, Oh, it's a baby chicken, baby chicken. And I was like, um, do I eat this chicken? And then I started getting really curious. Well, what's this and what's that and what's that and blah, blah. blah. And I was like, well, I don't want to eat animals anymore. So I was vegetarian from eight. Uh, and my mom was vegetarian and I thought she was the bee's knees. So I wanted to be more like her as well. So it was an easy, easy choice. Um, I did eat meat. So I kind of rebelled. Like I, I grew up in a pretty, um, organic natural family. My mom was vegetarian. She's a holistic energy healer. We were, you know, we're pretty conscious. Uh, then I sort of rebelled in my early twenties. I started eating meat because I was almost anemic and I wasn't eating well, just being a broke uni student. And, uh, then started, you know, loving fashion and got very deep into fast fashion, which is awful for the planet. Uh, and yeah, so I was just having a lot of fun and really not caring at all. Super unconscious about everything. And then I had the epiphany where I realized, or I watched the documentary the true cost which was eye-opening and I had been I was working in fashion and consuming a lot of fashion every month and realized that fashion was one of the most polluting and one of the most socially corrupt industries in the world and I felt completely blindsided like I couldn't believe that this industry I had idolized my entire life that I was finally in what I thought was my dream job at the time had this very dark undertone behind the glossy curtain that's presented And it just didn't sit right with me. And I literally couldn't continue. So I quit my job at the time and wasn't sure what I was going to do. But 
it was a very steep learning curve at the time. And in 2015 in Singapore, no one was talking about sustainability. I mean, it was just not a thing. And as I said, I got very judged by all my friends who didn't understand why I was leaving my glitzy fashion job to now, you know, do sustainability events and media. Um, but yeah, that was really, I guess, the tipping point for me. And really where my journey started, but I definitely wasn't perfect and I'm not perfect now. It's, it's a constant journey and I'm just trying to do the things that I know, you know, move the needle and uh, yeah, also trying to have fun and, and live my life. So I think you can do both really. Cool. Well, it sounds like good, good advice. I think, yeah, it's none of us are perfect. Got to just keep moving in the, in the right direction and having fun while you do is definitely sounds like a, a good piece of advice. So. I think a lot of people are going to regret it later in life when they're suffering and their kids are suffering and their grandkids are suffering if they look back now. So that's maybe a little invitation for the <laughs> viewers to think about that. <laughs> hey, cool. Look, I'm, I'm kind of, I, if there is, I don't know if there's anything I, I didn't ask that, that you'd like to share, but yeah, if there's anything I didn't ask, feel free to share it. Um, otherwise be great to just have a, you know, um, a, let people know where they can follow you because obviously there's untamed and there's also green is the new black. But yeah. I don't know if there's anything I didn't ask first of all, that you'd like to share beyond that. Otherwise go into just sharing your social and stuff. Yeah. I think the only thing I would say is if, if the web three for impact conversation was interesting for you, absolutely reach out, uh, follow us at B underscore untamed. And the E is a three. Um, I'm sure Matt will include the links uh, that's on Twitter and Instagram. And we have a Facebook group and a Telegram group and we're really learning together on that journey and impact is the backbone of that community. So if that was interesting to you, we'd love to invite you to join. You can find me at Steph L Dixon um, on Twitter and Instagram as well, or on LinkedIn as you like. And yeah, green is new black com is our Instagram. So there's all the channels you can reach out and follow along and, and connect. Brilliant. Awesome. Steph, it has been fun. I will. Um, yeah. I'll include all those links for anyone listening. There'll be, I'll, I'll, in, we'll, we'll make, I'll make sure I get everything off you include, include all the links and everyone can you know, go and look at the stuff you shared, but also follow you if they need to. So yeah, look, thanks for joining the podcast. It's, it's, it's Friday. So enjoy your, your weekend, but great to chat. Yeah. Thanks for having me. Hey, thanks for listening to the Task Podcast and hope you found it interesting. If you'd like to get in touch and have a chat with myself, Matt, one of the team, then we are at hello at task.io and we'd love to speak to you. Cheers.